0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is great to see everybody today. It's great to uh, be here to celebrate, especially coming off of last weekend. I just want to take a moment and just thank everybody who was a part of it. Everybody who served in different ways. Uh, Incredible weekend over all the services between here and between Venture and Espanol and all that was going on somewhere between 5,500, 6,000 people on campus for the weekend. Yeah, it was exciting to see and be a part of. Couple of thousand viewing online. So if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here. And I personally want to thank just the Venture family. We asked you to serve and you stepped up and served. Every service, we just had volunteers everywhere with it. It made such a difference, such a part. And I know over a holiday weekend, it's easy to be thinking about, oh, my service and getting home and taking care of family. The fact that you thought about your church family, you thought about our community and you came and served made a difference. And so just hear from me, thank you. Thank you for all that uh, joined us. Maybe you're new with us. Maybe last weekend was your first weekend and and you're joining in. We're thrilled that you're here. It's a perfect time to jump in because we're gonna talk about some fundamental things that will shape really how we do church and some fundamental ways that we want to, as we practice, what does it mean to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ? In fact, as, as I think about it, just uh, as we dive into this topic, and, and we'll be in this for a few weeks and then go back to the book of James. So if you're, if you're looking for James, adventure, we try to just preach through books of the Bible as our main preaching. But from time to time, we have a topic like this that we, we need to dive in together. And as we dive in this one, I was just thinking about, have you ever had an experience where you're doing something and somebody's making it harder than it needs to be? Maybe the DMV. You know, or this week, we, we might have that a little bit, uh, tax days coming. You ever read the tax code? You're like, who wrote this? Perfect, per, purposely making this, this difficult in ways. I, I had it in a small way. This week I was at Walmart getting some groceries and I'm checking out and it had a head of lettuce And the lady's checking out, she's nice. She's kind of scanning everything to it. But the the barcode on the head of lettuce, since it had gathered too much, she she goes to scan it and she she tries to scan it and the scanner won't work. So she's stretching it out, and scanning it, scanning it, scanning it, and scanning it. And then finally she determines, well, let me just set it aside and I'll try again later. And so she does some more. And then after a few more groceries, she grabs the head of lettuce again and she starts scanning it and scanning it. Now, as she's having trouble at it, she starts giving me looks like it's my fault. I mean, She keeps looking up at me like this, like, do you really need lettuce? Or like somehow I did something to the barcode with it. She stops the second time and puts it aside. And then she does the rest of the groceries and now we're left with just this head of lettuce. And she's determined she's going to scan this. I mean, she's pulling it, scanning it, pulling it, pulling it. Finally, after all this time, she reaches up on her thing and she hits one button, bing, and he says lettuce on it and it goes through. <laughs> I was like, could we have done that a few minutes ago? I mean, I, I, how difficult was this? And, and I look at it, sometimes you get stuck in the way you do things. Sometimes it's it's just over time, patterns can emerge or develop. And when we talk about even a topic that's common within church discipleship, reality is sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be. Or we get stuck in patterns and rhythms with that. And so so as we talk about as a church, because we've really been thinking about this, praying and working on this for a long time, how are we equipping you as disciples of Christ? How are we helping you own your faith? How do we know that as we walk and do this together, we look more like Jesus than we did and that you would know what to do? Some, Some clarity and simplicity can go a long way on a subject as big as discipleship. And if you go all the way back to Jesus, we'll go back to where we were last week when Jesus looked at Peter, you know, his core command that Jesus gave his disciples, follow me, follow me. Last week with Peter, when when Peter, he determined, Peter, I'm still gonna use you, Peter. I've got a plan for you. But the very end of the passage, he looks at him a couple of times. He says, you follow me. And then he tells him, hey, don't worry about John. Don't worry about anybody else. You keep your focus on me. You follow me. It was the command that he gave his his disciples. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This is how he got them in where they followed him then for the next three years. But it's not just a term for them. You might look at that and go, well, that's great for Peter. That's great for them. All through his teaching, Jesus, again, Jesus spoke to them saying in John chapter eight, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me, they stick with me. They're there with me. They're going to experience what it's like to walk in the light as he's in the light. You actually know where to go. He says it elsewhere, John 10. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. This is the passage where he's teaching. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep know me, so they hear my voice, and here's the key. They actually follow me. That's how they're different than any other sheep out there. My sheep follow me. I love the saying that Dallas Willard has. He says, the Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than lives. It's kind of easy, one of those things that go, oh yeah, I I love that Jesus is my shepherd. Do we love the inverse of that? If he's the shepherd, then I follow. Look at it in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, look at this, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This deny and take up the cross, that's that moment when you come to him and you recognize my way of life's not working and I've got to receive what he did on the cross. That's that moment of salvation where you deny yourself and, and it continues on. That's the, you're justified in it, but as we looked in Romans, man, that continues on in life that I'm denying me. I'm saying yes to what Jesus accomplished through the gospel. And the ongoing part of it is you follow me. You follow me. Over and over and over again, we see this this core command of following him. Now, Jesus' disciples did that for three years. They kind of had an advantage in one way. You get to walk around with him and see how he acts and see what he does, and you literally follow him. Jesus would say, though, that we actually have more of an advantage with this. He told his disciples that in this process, we have an advantage, but I think one of the disadvantages we have over 2000 years of doing church and over time, some ways we can make it more complicated than it needs to be. Some ways we can compartmentalize. We kind of got this discipleship part of our life, this Jesus part of our life, church part. And so we compartmentalize it. We dedicate kind of part of Sunday to it, and maybe some parts here and there, but it's not this comprehensive following of him that he's calling to. And part of it is the mindset of how we approach this commitment we have to him. David Brooks in in his book, The Social Animal, he talked about the difference between people that gave themselves to to something, whether it's athletics or music or something, the ones who really experienced excellence at it and the ones that just kind of was part of their life. Didn't really pursue it. Uh, Listen to this study. He says, in 1997, Gary McPherson studied 157 randomly selected children as they picked out and learned a musical instrument. Some went on to become fine musicians and some faltered. McPherson searched for the traits that separated those who progressed from those who did not. IQ was not a good predictor. Neither were oral sensitivity, math skills, income, or sense of rhythm. All the things that I would have said, yeah, that was what makes a good musician. The best single predictor was a question McPherson asked the students before they even selected their instruments. How long do you think you will play? The students who planned to play for a short time did not become very proficient. The students who planned to play for a few years had modest success. But there were some children who said, in effect, I want to be a musician. I'm going to play my whole life. Those children soared. Number one indicator of all of it. In in the same way, I, I think as we look at this, when Jesus gives us this command of following him, it's an open ended command. It's not a one-time event. It's not a compartmentalized event. And part of it is a mindset that we go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life. That's what I love about baptism. We had a bunch of baptisms about 25, 30, uh, two weeks ago. And every one of them, you've got these individuals at different places, but they're all making this commitment. And the commitment they're saying is, I've denied myself and take up the cross. I've died with Christ. But now I'm living with him. And I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life. And so as we look at that, you go, okay, I want to do that. I'm committed to do that. How do we do that? And and part of it, I, I think in the how, is following Jesus as the way. And I say this from the verse John 14, six. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture because I think it's one of the most profound verses. In fact, I would say this is one of the most profound statements in human history of any leader, any religious leader, any political leader, anybody that's ever walked on the planet, this is one of the most profound statements. When Jesus made a declaration, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the father, except through me. I mean, there's this, this claim and we've taught it here before, the exclusivity of this claim. When someone says, oh man, there's so many roads to God, Jesus would look at them and go, I absolutely disagree with you. He, he says, I, I am the exclusive way to the Father. I am the exclusive truth, I'm the exclusive life. Look at this, and, and in this, sometimes we move past this, when he says the way, the truth and the life, I think there's, each of those terms is so rich. When he's talking about way, he's not just talking about where to go, he's talking about how you go. When he talks about truth, he's not just talking about a truth or or some doctrines you should believe. He's making the claim, he is the repository of truth. That truth itself comes from him. The very understanding basis of truth, of, of any understanding of truth comes from him and we learn it from him. Life, he's not just a way to life or, or a, a belief that leads to life. He goes, I am life itself. I'm the God that breathed in to dust and humans were formed. I'm the God that breathes into you. The very living ability that you have every day is based on Jesus. And so when you you look at that, because sometimes I think we do reduce way to just a way or we reduce it to a path and stay on the path. And you got to get on the right path and stay on the path. He's talking about more than just where you go a path. He's talking about how you go as well. Uh, Dumb, crude illustration of this, but it's what my brain immediately goes to. Remember in Young Frankenstein? Remember the old movie, Young Frankenstein? Marty Feldman looks at him and he says, walk this way. And then he kind of, you know, walks off like this. And then Dr. Frankenstein looks at him and goes, and he walks off like this too. Because he's not just following where he went, he's using way, walk this way, this is how he went. This is how he walked with that. And so when we look at this, this part with Jesus, what he's saying in this verse is, Jesus is not only the way to God, but reveals the way of God. He's not only the way to the father, he reveals the way of God in this world. That's why when he he came, he says, the kingdom of God is here. I didn't come just to die on a cross so that one day you could die and get to the kingdom of God. He said, I came so that you could actually experience the kingdom of God now. I came so that you could experience truth right now. I came so that you could experience life abundantly right now. And I'm going to show you in the way that I talk, in the way that I serve, in the way that I interact with people, in all that I do, I show you the way of God. I show you what God in flesh looks like. I show you how you should think and treat people and act and serve. It's this comprehensive way. And it's it's interesting, the early church, if you look in the book of Acts, Before they ever identified as Christians, the term Christian came, you you only see it a couple of times. And and it caught on when people identified as Christians. Before they ever identified as Christians, it's interesting to me, the first identification of the church was as followers of the way. That's how how they identified themselves. You look at it in Acts chapter nine, Saul, remember when Saul, before he comes, Paul, He's persecuting the church. Look what it says. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. He wants to go to Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to, look look what they call the church at this point, the way. If I found any of those followers of the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In Acts 19, now he's Paul, he's the one who's preaching. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some, of, some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. Again, that's how they identified the church, how they identified followers of Jesus. They spoke against the way. Acts 22, Paul, when he's defending his life, he says, hey, let me just tell you my testimony. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison, both men and women. Acts 22, he does the same thing. He says, I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, he says, now the Jews call us a sect. They say that we're kind of a cult, we're crazy but identified as the way I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law that is written from the prophets. And these aren't all the references to it, by the way. So so you look at that. Now, I I don't say that because suddenly we need to start calling ourselves the way. Um, That's how they identified in that. Unfortunately, a couple of cults have grabbed that title and really ruined it uh, over the last hundred years with it. I say it though, out of all the ways they could identify before they identified as first church of X before they said, oh, you got to go to this building and that's, that's church. When Christianity was spreading and, and you're going from this group that were literal followers of Jesus to people now who are, are following him that he's ascended and the church is spreading they identified, man, this is the way. This is how you do life. This is how you think about life. God has redefined everything. And so they they patterned their life accordingly. And so if you look in your notes, you see that next section, we're, we're talking about the venture way, the venture way. Now, as I put venture on that, I'm not saying we've come up with something no one else has come up with before. We've gone different, but as we look at this and we think about it, here's what we're talking about. The venture way is how we participate together in following Jesus is how do we do this together? How do we as a church participate in this? And again, it, it, you're going to look at it and part of it, you'll go, duh, you did all that work on that because it's pretty common stuff. And it should be, by the way, if, if we're suddenly introducing the venture way and it's a bunch of stuff you haven't heard of, then we're not following Jesus. 2000 years, but here's the part that really hit us. How are we equipping you? How are we coming alongside you? How are we helping you be able to make the uh, well-rounded decisions as you're following Jesus? Because all of us, let's be honest, all of us have a propensity that there's certain things that we really like and certain things we may dislike, and we may load up on the wrong things. When when I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money. So we we hardly ever ate out. And uh, sometimes, you know, you kind of do the fast food a little bit. And then if we really wanted to go somewhere, man, it was great, we went to a cafeteria. Anybody remember cafeterias? Yeah, you go to a cafeteria. There's certain age here you have no clue what I'm talking about. A cafeteria is kind of like a buffet, but the people serve you instead of you getting all you want. Okay, so you go through the line. And I, I mean, I remember the first time I went to the cafeteria, I thought, this is the greatest ever. I mean, the food's already cooked. You don't have to wait for it. Isn't that awesome? I was a kid, I didn't know better. And, and you went through it and it was kind of set. You had the salads, all the different salads, and then the meats and then the vegetables. And then the bread, and then, I, I mean, my, my mind was blown the first time I saw it. All these different desserts. And especially, they had all these little bowls of jello where somebody had cut the jello up into cubes <laughs> and then put whipped cream on top of it. I didn't know you could do that to jello. Now, as a kid, as I'm going through the line, the first time I'm going through, I mean, in my mind, no, no salad. I don't think I even need meat, no vegetables. Yes, I'll take some bread and give me five of those yellows. I want the green one and the blue one and the red one. And I'll, You know, my mom looks over and is like, no, no. In fact, the cafeteria used to have a thing kind of, they had this plate and on the plate, you got the meat and then the two vegetables and, and the set deal. Because they're trying to, you know, lead you in the right direction of what you need to eat with that. It's easy in a church like Venture, especially a big church, and we offer a ton of stuff every day of the week you can Look, there's different ministries, there's different things out there, and that's just Venture. Now let's go online and there's all these things out there and things you can do. And then you go and see all these Christian resources and all that, and sometimes you can feel like a kid going to the cafeteria or at the buffet, and maybe it's not Jell-O, but there's parts of it that you really like and you go, you know, I'm just, I'm gonna load up on all this, And this is how you grow doing this. Some of you go, ugh, I hate that. I'm gonna load up on this. Some of you, maybe you're new in this journey and you kind of go, yeah, I wanna follow Jesus. Would you just tell me, give me the plate, serve with that. And and we we can assume everybody knows how to do this intuitively. It, It struck me, Jesus spent three years going pretty slow. In fact, at the end of three years, you'd think they'd have it more than they do. But in that unhurried process, it's, hey, let me train you so that you can grow in a well-rounded way so that you can see what following him looks like. So as we look at it, we've been looking, we've been praying through it and, and talking through and elders and leaders and different parts for a while, we go, okay, what would be the core practices that we as a church need to structure the church around? Where do we need to come alongside you and equip you? What do we need to be doing? And what do we need to be calling you to in that? And so as you you look at this, the Venture Way consists of seven core practices. And some of you are gonna scurry to write all of them. We're gonna talk about them for a few weeks. In fact, we're gonna come back to them again and again because we've gotta be training you in all these. The first one is, The core practice, you need to engage God. The second one, you need to receive teaching. And I'll I'll tell you what that is different a little bit than just getting teaching. Worship daily, live in community, serve others, give generously. And then the last part is share the way. In the same way that you're learning the way of God, you're learning the way of Jesus, you're sharing it with others in your life. Now these seven practices, now you might look at this list immediately and go, Tim, you left out XXX, probably did. But but again, remember part of this is, how do we with some simplicity, but also integrate in core parts of life, help people take next steps in that? And, And so today, all I wanna focus on is the first practice. I just want to look at the one today of engaging God. And so I engage God when I learn how to relationally engage God every day through spiritual disciplines. Learn how to relationally engage God every day through spiritual disciplines. And let me unpack that phrase a little bit with it. Learn how to relationally. When we talk about engaging God, there's a reason that's the first one of these practices. Because it's so fundamental to it that God has called you to a relationship with him. We don't ever want to, because anytime you start going into practices, you start talking about disciplines and all those parts, man, pretty quickly, we some of us have a propensity. We can kind of turn it into the checklist, what you got to do and all that. And man, as long as you're doing these things and you do them harder than anybody else, you're going to be a good Christian and we miss it. And, and so at the core, How do we step back and go, I have a God, and and this is the most profound thing about Christianity. And if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about this sometime because it's so different than any other religion. It's so different than anything else to know that the God of this universe actually wants to have a personal relationship with me. And he knows me intimately. And he actually cares about me. It's not a distant relationship. It's not this begrudging relationship. He does it because he has to. He actually cares. He's the one that initiated it. He pursued me, even when there was nothing worth pursuing in it. And and so at the core of that, we never want to lose that. If, If all of this is not leading us closer in relationship with him, man, we've missed that. And and so if you're new in that, boy, you want to develop that. But but here's the thing as well. If you've been in a relationship with him for a long time, boy, it's good to kind of examine where am I with him? You know, Lee and I have been married for 32 years. So I, I know her more and better than any other human being on the planet. Our relationship, I'm so thankful for it, so much that's come out of that. And if you've been married for a long time... You look at your relationship and, and if you were to come into our household and examine our interaction, what if you came in the house and you never saw us actually talking to each other? We, we just kind of live there. We coexist in the same household together. You'd probably worry about the relationship, wouldn't you? Or what if when we got together, one of us talked all the time, the other one never talked? And so one of us, and and every time the one of us sat down and go, okay, this is what I need from you. I need this this and this and this and could you do this and this and this and this and this? Great. You'd probably look at it and go, ooh, that's not healthy. What if all we did was share information? We get together, okay, Leah, let me tell you about this kid and this kid and that and what's going on, and that's it. It's an information exchange. See, in in a real relationship like that, you you go, man, what's happening there? And in any marriage, even over time, you have to to watch it. You know, uh, Sheldon Van Auken has a term. We talked about this in Better Man. The the term is called creeping separateness that could happen in a relationship. That doesn't just happen overnight, just kind of creeping separateness with that. In, In the same way, As you're engaging God at the core of it, am I treating it like a relationship? What's our our interaction like relationally? Is it a one-way conversation all the time? Is it just information exchange? Is there actual personal connection? Now to experience that, this term spiritual discipline, some of you, as soon as I say it, you're like, yes. And you can teach all the courses on it. There's books on this and all of this. We're not gonna dive into all this. Remember, part of what we're trying to do is how do we simplify in some ways? But you do need to recognize if I'm gonna engage God, there's two parts of it. There's a spiritual part, the Holy Spirit within me, and there's a discipline part with it. The spiritual part, remember I told you Jesus said it was to our advantage that he left? He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's your advantage I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, the helper is the Holy Spirit, by the way. He wants to help us in this relationship. I'll send him. And when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak out of his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so he says, the Holy Spirit is going to help you in this relationship. It's going to help you in this journey. And in the same way that Jesus revealed the Father, the Holy Spirit going to reveal Jesus and the Father to us. And so it's a spiritual relationship we have with him. But it also takes Discipline. By the way, every relationship takes discipline. If Lee and I do not discipline ourselves to go, you know what, we're gonna sit down together and have conversations. We're gonna go out and just have time alone. We're gonna have personal connection. There's a discipline to that. Paul says to Timothy, he says, don't have anything to do with irreverent silly myths. Don't chase what's the latest news. He says, rather in this word, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. The word train there is literally gymnia gymnia, or gymnasium is what we get from it. He says, go to the spiritual gym. And then he compares it. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. And so so it's this training that you're going to do. So of that, and, and again, I told you spiritual disciplines, all these terms, let me reduce it because I think this is the most important. The keystone habit is experiencing God daily through Bible reading and prayer. The, the keystone habit is how do I experience God through the Bible and through prayer? Remember, we're talking about a relationship. And so the Bible's not like any other book. It's not like sitting down and just reading a book because as Paul said, all scripture is breathed out by God. That word inspired, it came through him. Peter describes it. He says, Holy Spirit moved men. Hebrews describes the book in this way. He says, the word of God is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the keystone. It's the key habit because God is actually, God breathed this book. And so it's alive. And so when I read the Bible, it's not just that I discern things about God, I discern things about me, because it's a living book. It's God's way of speaking to me now, this repository, not just of truth, but of life and the way. And so I've got to be taking in the Bible. And then the flip side of that is I need to be praying. Rejoice always, pray, uh, this, this phrase always gets me, pray without ceasing. Paul says it just should come across your, your, your heart and your mind. Hey, I should talk to God about this. I wanna to connect to God about this. I can't tell you how many times during the day in my relationship with Lee, something comes up and I'm like, oh, I've got to tell her about this. She has to know this right now. Paul says, man, I engage God like that. God, somebody, is he's talking to me through his word, I'm also talking to him. Now, a lot of you, you you go, yeah, that's my problem. I am terrible at prayer. I'm terrible at talking to God. Guess what Jesus' disciples were too. So much so that after they had watched Jesus pray some, they went to him and they said, hey, could you teach us to pray like that? We don't know how to pray like that. And so Jesus taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And and too often we kind of treat it like, oh, the Lord's prayer, we say it collectively with this. I think Jesus is saying, this is the pattern for your prayers. If you wanna have a good prayer life, pattern your prayers like this. And and I'll just say for my prayer life, this is the prayer on a consistent basis. I find myself praying over and over. The days when you get there and you go, I don't have anything to say. I don't know what to pray. I don't have any energy to pray. I always go to the Lord's prayer. Because remember Jesus looked at his disciples and said, follow me, I'll show you what this looks like. And so then when they asked him, how do we pray? He said, okay, do it like this. So I I don't have to be brilliant. I just have to listen to Jesus. Now, when I do that, I just kind of go through it. Each line, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So then I stop and I praise God. Okay, I think about names of God. I think about who he is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ooh, what is God's will for my life today? And I pray about that. Give us this day our daily bread. What do I need today? It's probably not bread, I've got bread, but I need things. Forgive us our debts. Ooh, where have I sinned? As we forgive our debtors. Oh, who do I need to forgive? And lead us not into temptation. Man, what am I struggling with? What's the temptation in front of me? But deliver us from evil. Again, guys, it's not rocket science. But I promise you this, if most of you just started applying this to your prayer life every day, you'd be amazed what it looks like, how much closer you get to Jesus. Because you're actually following him the way he's called you to. Bible reading and prayer. Why do I call it a keystone habit? And I'm gonna teach you a little bit more in this series about habits. I've been studying just the science of habits because that's part of what I want to develop with that. Uh, Charles Duhigg's book, the power of habit, as they study organizations and individuals, they identified what they call keystone habits. Keystone habits are these foundational habits that if you do them, they impact other things. Uh, Listen, as he describes it, he says, uh, take exercise. When they looked at exercise, when people start habitually exercising, even as infrequently as once a week, they start changing and it changes other unrelated patterns in their life, often unknowingly. Typically, people who start exercising start eating better, they become more productive at work, they smoke less, they show more patience with colleague and family. They use their credit cards less frequently and say they feel less stressed. And you go, oh, come on. It's true, that's, that's why they call it a keystone. This one habit starts having triggering effects across their lives. It's not completely clear why. But for many people, exercise is a keystone habit that triggers widespread change. Exercise spills over. There's something about it that makes other good habits easier. Studies have documented that families who habitually eat dinner together seem to raise children with better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control. Making your bed every morning is correlated with better productivity. And some of you go, come on, Tim, you're just piling on now. Now here's my, my point on it. it, and as you redo it, these keystone habits, they just have triggering effect in other areas of your life. Let, let me tell you, daily time with God, where he's speaking to you through His word and you're speaking to Him through prayer, is a keystone habit that has a triggering effect across your whole life. It's absolutely fundamental. I, I don't know anyone who's experienced profound discipleship or change without making that a part of their life. So, so how do you do that? We'll take a little how-to time as, as we finish out. Here, here's a model that I've used. Um, I got this uh, about 20 years ago from a guy, Wayne Cordero. And uh, I was senior pastor at the time. I'd been to seminary. I'd had my master's four years with it. I remember Cordero's meeting with us as a group of pastors and he goes, hey, l- let me talk about how you do your daily Bible study. And, and you know, you can feel it around the room. Everybody's like, dude, we, we came to listen to you about how to build church and do all this stuff. We know how to study the Bible. We know how to spend daily time with God. And, and he laid out this little soap model. And even as he said, it almost seemed too simplistic. But then he challenged, he says, hey, if you got a better model, use it. But if you're not using anything, I challenge you to use this. And I I started using it. It has been the fundamental way that I engage God every day. And it it really is simple. It's it's, so scripture, read a passage every day. You just read a passage every day. And, And I would encourage you, if you can, it really makes a difference if you do it first thing in the morning. Now. I do it after coffee, because God does not like me without coffee. He's told me that. I am not a good person to be around without coffee, so he just assumes I get some coffee in that process. But first thing, or set a set time every day. Maybe for you, it's lunchtime every day. Maybe it's the end of the day, you're a night owl and you can do that, but having a consistent time with that. Read a scripture every day. Now, some of you, you plow through tons of scripture. You're the Bible in a year person. I, I can't quite do that. Um, I do one chapter a day. That, that's about, that because it gives me time to do the other parts of this. So then the other part is observe. What's it talking about? You go, Tim, I didn't go to seminary. Tim, I don't have commentary. There'll be passages at times I look at it and I go, man, I don't know exactly what this is saying, what that means. That can be a, a a prompt for me to go look it up somewhere else. But sometimes I just look at most of the Bible, it's not hard to figure out what it's talking about. It's hard to apply it, but it's not hard to figure out what it's talking about. But make observations. Oh, it's talking about this, this, this. And then application, how does this apply to my life? And I'm always looking for what is one key focus today? Because you can, in any passage, you can come up with 20 applications or 10 things, you won't remember them. So I'm always looking, what's the one thing? What's my one takeaway for today? And then I pray. I either pray the passage back to God or I, I go back to the Lord's Prayer. And I just go through it and use it as my prompt to be able to pray. Again, this isn't rocket science. For some of you, you go, Tim, I've been doing this for years and years. Great, knock yourself out. So proud of you. But I've found for a lot of people, this can be one of the areas that slips pretty quick. And when it slips, it also has the keystone effect. It starts impacting everything. And so let's do it together. What do you say? We're gonna do soap right here, all right? Let's read the passage. It's not hard. Psalm one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seats of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. It's leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. Now, this is half the Psalm. How long did that take, by the way? Did anybody time it? About one minute? So if if you read the whole Psalm, we're asking you to take two minutes. Two minutes, not that hard, is it? Okay, so you read it. Then you stop and go, okay, let's observe. What's he talking about? And so David is writing here and he says, okay, let's just contrast what's a blessed life and what's not a blessed life. What are you doing with your life? Who's influencing your life? And so he kind of goes down the line. He says, are are you being counseled by the wicked? So who gives you advice? And I go, hmm, yeah, I should think about it. Who, Who does give me advice? He stands in the way of sinners. Who do you hang with? What's your friend group look like? He sits in the seat of scoffers. Oh, this is the one that hits me. Because you know what scoffers are? They're mockers. They're snarky people. And so he says, man, the person who doesn't experience blessing, they allow themselves to hear mocking and snark all the time. As soon as I read that, I mean, I immediately go to, ugh, I think he's talking about Twitter. (laughs) How much time am I, am I sitting on Twitter too long? How much time am I allowing people They just mock stuff all the time? Even if they agree with me, they're scoffers. And then he flips it. He says, no, his delight is the law of the Lord. He's talking about scripture. So he says, his delight is he he likes sitting in scripture. He likes listening to scripture. He's planted there. See, again, this isn't rocket science, but you're just going through it and you're going, yeah, I observed this and I observed this and I observed this. And as you observe things with it, then you move to, okay, how do I apply this to my life? And maybe a couple things jump for you. Maybe the group you're hanging out with, you go, yeah, you know what? Everybody I hang out with, I end up doing what they're doing. I got to think about my friend group. For me, I immediately go to this. I go, man, am I spending more time on social media than I am with God? What does that say about my relationship? And so my application from this is, okay, God, every time I'm tempted to pick this up or I'm going to scroll on this or, or this, man, direct my heart back to you. Make it a prompt to pray. Even if it's a quick prayer of God, man, I want to be rooted in you. I want to delight in you. And so Take that as an application point. And then, then you just pray it. You, you pray that back to God. Again, guys, I think we spent about five minutes doing this. I'm not asking you to blow up your world, but I am asking you to start putting in practice what I know will impact your life. So here's my takeaway for you, putting in practice today. Over the next seven days, I want you to read one chapter a day from Psalm one through seven. And all of the chapters are short, just like that. Now, for some of you, some of you, you're like, Tim, I've got a Bible reading plan. I read through the Bible in a year. I, I plucked through it. Great this won't be that much more on top of it. It just won't, it's a short Psalm. For some, if you're really honest, you go, yeah, I am sporadic at best. Or I've been a long time since I've done this regularly or I'm brand new in it. Just do this, it's, cause there's no bonus for reading tons. It's actually the whole design of it is how do I engage God with it? It's about a relationship. So so over the next seven days, just take a a chapter a day, and you already got a head start tomorrow. We did half of Psalm one. So your punch card already has one punch on it. You're good. So tomorrow, Psalm one. And then as you do that, all I want you to do is every day take some time to use the soap model. Just go do it. What's the scripture? Okay, what do I observe? What, what's it talking about? How do I apply it? What's my one application? And here's what, I write down your key focus for each day. What's your one takeaway? What's the one thing? Write that down. And if you can keep a sheet and write down what each of the seven days. You might start seeing some consistent things. God keeps saying this to me. You may see something else that jumps out of it, but just even doing that one simple practice starts expanding how you think about God during the day. Can we do this? Yes. Can we do this together? Yes. Seven of us are going to do it together. I heard from them. <laughs> I would hope the rest of you join us. And, and again, let, let me go back to why we do this. Because the God of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you. He gave us Not just a book, but actual living communication to us that will search you and know you and penetrate and help you understand you and life. He's willing to give us an audience in a moment's notice. And so when he looks at us and says, you follow me, he's not doing it as this taskmaster who's leading us on this dreadful journey. He's doing it as the good shepherd who loves his sheep. And he knows where the good pasture, the good life is. And he wants us to experience it with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you, you didn't just command from on high, you could have. You could have just issued edicts from heaven but you came and became one of us. You showed us what God looks like in the flesh. You showed us not only the way to eternity, but the way to live now. And so Lord, as as we engage this together, I do pray, would you help us maybe establish some habits that have been hard for some of us. Maybe to put things in practice for the first time or maybe to recognize that for some of us, even though we've been in relationship with you for years, there's been some creeping separateness and we're existing with you, but we're not connected. Lord, we thank you that you're the God who in a moment's notice, you give us attention. You always forgive. You're always waiting to connect and willing to connect. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, because all of this is possible in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.